Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll move on this listener right now in your gentle, loving, powerful, and merciful way as they listen to this message from All Nations Church in Tallahassee. Amen. This morning, I am just so delighted to have a friend with us today. Angela, would you come? Angela Hogan was a part of the church I pastored in Oklahoma City, she and her whole family. Her dad was the campus pastor at the University of Oklahoma. Angela graduated from the University of Oklahoma, and she uh, began having a heart for missions. I remember when she went to the mission field to Mexico for one summer. She has an amazing story of how God has used her, called her, placed her. She actually went as a single woman And then 10 years ago, she met the love of her life. They got married, and they're now both missionaries in Mexico. So today, would you put your hands together and welcome my friend, Angela Hogan. Come, Angela. Good morning. Buenos dias for those who speak Spanish. (laughs) Um, Like Pastor Steve said, my name is Angela Uh, I'm excited to be here with you today. My husband, Corey, you'll see a picture of him up on the screen in a moment. Uh, He's at home, but I always say um, I prayed for a husband a little bit taller than me because it would feel like I felt a little more secure that way. I don't know. Um, And you'll see, uh, I have great faith. He's he's a lot taller than me. Um, I am five foot four. He is six foot nine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, He says he had a cutoff, and his cutoff was five foot three, and I made it by an inch. So (laughs) um, we serve in the town of Guanajuato, Mexico. It's in central Mexico. There's a photo up there uh, on the screen. Before I tell you a little bit about what we do, I want to tell you a little bit about how I got there. Um, I... Grew up in a, in a ministry family. My parents do campus ministry, like Pastor said. And, and I always um, wanted to serve the church, but never felt called to full-time ministry. So I got a full scholarship to the University of Oklahoma, and I thought, well, I'll go there, and that's, that's where I'll study, because it's free. <laughs> um, so I started studying not knowing what God wanted to do with my life. And my last year at uh, university, I had the opportunity to go and study abroad to finally learn the Spanish that I had studied for years to actually be able to speak it. And I lived with a Mexican family and I suffered and I ate way too much Mexican food and, and I loved it. But I came back and I thought, well, I'll graduate college and then I'll get a job and I'll reach people in the marketplace for Jesus. Uh, And I was talking to a friend and my campus ministry was called Chi Alpha and they had just started doing a push called Give a Year and Pray About a Lifetime. And what they were asking is for students to give one year of our lives after graduation and see, see what God did. And so I was talking to this friend and she said, Angela, would you go? Would you serve a a missionary in Mexico for a year since you speak Spanish? And I said, I'm not called to missions. And she said, but Angela, do you have time? (laughs) And I'm a yes girl. Like, I will say yes to just about anything. And I tell people I got called to missions because I couldn't say no. (laughs) Um, But I I said yes, yes, I have time. So I ended up in another city, in the city of Guadalajara, and I wanted to do university ministry. It was what I knew, and I thought I'll do it for a year, and I'll wait for the real missionary to show up. Like, someone's got to be called to this. Someone planned for this. And at the end of a year, no one showed up. And so I thought, well, then I'll just stay. (laughs) I'll stay until they show up. And four years, (laughs) four, (laughs) into this experience, I was at a prayer meeting and a friend came up to me and he said, Angela, I need you to be in this meeting with leaders as the missionary that you're going to be, he said. And there was something that just struck me. The voice of God spoke through my friend Johnny Uh, And I got home and we lived in this big house with my missionary mentors. And I got there and I was like, guys, guys, tonight God called me to be a missionary. And they're rolling because I've been there for four years. And they're like, you never felt like a missionary. (laughs) But in those four years, I got to see God do incredible things on the university campuses of Guadalajara. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to plan. I'm going to go back. 
Um, so I went back to Oklahoma. I needed like credentials as a minister and, and I needed to raise funds to go back. Uh, went back and I met Corey. Uh, we were in a small group and we were the only two single people in a married people's small group. And they all started talking like junior hires, like, would you date him? <laughs> and um, honestly, I thought, I'm a missionary and he's a teacher and how does that work? And God just made it work. God had already spoken some things into Corey's life about how long he would teach for. Um, and he brought us together. And so when we got married, we got, I actually was raising funds. We did the long distance relationship thing. Corey came to Mexico. God called him personally um, to the people of Mexico. And then we returned, but this time to a new city called Guanajuato. Uh, it's a college town. I'll tell you a little bit about that in a minute. We also work with university students still. I can't like get that out of my system. Um, watching the graduates today, there's so much potential in them. Like they will change the world and we believe that they'll change Mexico. If you hear the news out of Mexico, it's never very good. <laughs> and we believe that they have the potential to change a country um, and to transform it. So you're gonna see in a minute, there's a map of Mexico and we live right in the middle. Uh, it's an area called the Bajio, like the Bay District, but there's no water. I don't know. <laughs> um, there's a lake nearby. But we serve a three-state area, and we serve churches in that area, and we serve students in that area, but we also serve primarily in our um, one town. So the Bajio is known for being one of the hardest places in Mexico to evangelize. If you go to northern Mexico, you'll find like good churches and large churches. If you go to southern Mexico, you'll find the same, but in our area, um, it's a bit different. We sang this morning about um, the God of suffering. And our area very much equates Jesus with suffering, but not with um, rising from the dead. When we celebrate Easter in our town or when it's celebrated, uh, it starts before Palm Sunday and it starts on Friday. And on Friday, the Friday before Palm Sunday, uh, they celebrate the tears of the Virgin. They set up altars to the Virgin Mary because of what she would experience and face. Um, they celebrate his death. Uh, the Good Friday is, is there are parades in the streets and the churches are packed, the Catholic churches, but by Sunday it's silent. The day that we celebrate is kind of forgotten. And so most students that we know who are raised Catholic have no idea how to have a relationship with Jesus. They may have a Bible even in their home and they have no idea what it says. <laughs> so this area, the Bajio, is about 3%, that's what statistics say, 3% Christian. 3% would profess to know Jesus as Savior. Um, those are statistics like the Middle East, just so you know. <laughs> um, we have a really, really big task ahead of us in our area. But in all of Mexico, there are actually 4.9 million college students. <laughs> That's a whole lot of students on campuses um, who are training to be the future leaders of a country. They're training to change a country. Um, in our little area where we live, there are about 400,000 students. And in our one town um, where I can basically walk anywhere, there are about 20,000 students. So we get a chance, honestly, every day um, to reach out to them and to try to show them the love of Jesus. But those are all really big numbers. I look at 20,000 and I'm like, what can I do about that? <laughs> 20,000 is, is a lot. But one thing that happened in December of 2019, you'll see some, some Instagram photos that I stole. <laughs> um, in December of 2019, a girl in our town was murdered uh, by her boyfriend, actually. It was, it was a familiar thing. Um, but the university tried to cover up the story. They tried to say that she had taken her own life because they wanted to promote an idea of security in town. And I will say, our town is safe. I feel like I can walk around um, at any time. But the town knew that things were um, being, happening in other parts of our state, and so they really tried to keep this quiet. And what happened was that we watched 
20,000 students take to the streets. They shut down the campus for a week. They shut down the city, basically. And they said, well, we won't go back to school until you change some things. And we won't go back to school until you tell the truth. And we won't go back to school until we feel safe. And we watched them take to the streets and they marched and they marched under this hashtag. They would all post it and it said, ni una abeja menos, which means not one bee less. The school mascot is a bee. <laughs> and they were saying, we will not stand for one more bee to go missing. We will not stand for one more to be forgotten. We will not stand for one more to be lost. And if you have read any of um, this amazing story, Jesus talks a lot about one. <laughs> a lot about how one is so important to him. So in the story in Luke 15, if you've never read it, please do. <laughs> in Luke 15, there's a story, there are three stories of lost things. And there's a story of a lost coin and a story of a lost sheep and a story of a lost son. We're gonna get to those <laughs> today. But in Luke 15, four, it says, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? In December of 2019, we watched the students of our city mobilize and march for one. And I would say that Jesus says the one is worth it, that the one is important. So in March of 2020, if your life was like mine, it kind of stopped. <laughs> we got holed up in our home. We weren't allowed to leave. Um, we could maybe go to the store on occasion. And all of a sudden, the ministry that we were doing on campuses and the students that we could meet where they were, we had to meet on Zoom. <laughs> Uh, we had to do things virtually and we couldn't meet new students because how do you meet a new student online? <laughs> and honestly, we sat and we thought, are we here for a purpose? Are, are we still here? Some of our missionary friends went home. We thought, I guess we could do the same ministry that we're doing from my couch in Oklahoma City. <laughs> but what happened was that Jesus gave us one. And obviously he gives us more. Um, but we had one neighbor, her name is Hema. And she, uh, at this point, we had met Hema in 2014. Uh, she's a geology student. She studies, she really likes rocks <laughs> and dinosaurs. <laughs> but we met her and she spoke English. She had lived here in Florida actually for a while with her father and she spoke English and she wanted to be our friend because we spoke English. Uh, and we got to know Hema, and our first um, three years in Guanajuato, if she would, she would come to all of our fun events. I say that, and then I'm going to say something, and you're going to think, I don't think the Bible's fun, but I do. She would come to all of the fun things, like game nights, and if we would go to a coffee shop, and those things. But if we invited her to a Bible study, she would always say no. Like, no, I don't, I don't want to be a part of that. Um, but we got to know her better and better. She became our friend. We left. We had to go back to Oklahoma to raise funds for a year. We get back, and Hema's still around. She's finishing up school. Um, she ended up getting a job at a government office in town, and um, we started to learn more of her story. You'll see a picture of her in a moment um, with us. But what we learned is that her sister had died of leukemia two years before we met her and she is from a very devout Catholic family. And honestly, she thought they had done everything right. They had paid the priest to pray. They had asked him to do things for them. They had asked God to come through. They had prayed their rosary again and again, and nothing happened, and her sister died. And so by the time we met Hema, she was mad at God. <laughs> but in March of 2020, Hema was our neighbor, and she was the one that we could still meet with in person. We were doing Bible studies online, but Hema could come up to our house. She lived in an apartment under our house and she could come up and she could still do a Bible study with us. And at this point, she started accepting. Uh, a little bit before the pandemic, she had started coming to a girl's Bible study. See, she likes dinosaurs. She has them on her shirt. <laughs> um, she had started coming to a Bible study that I would do with girls and we had started reading through the book of Matthew. We read through it all. That way I'm not picking and choosing. She, she gets to see what the word of God says. 
And she would get to passages like, like Jesus casting out a demon and she would look at me and be like, is this for real? This is in movies, right? This is real? And you're like, Emma, this is real. But in the pandemic, she would come up and we had gotten to the book of 1 Corinthians. And we were reading through Paul's letter um, and Hema thought Paul was really arrogant. <laughs> He's telling people what to do. And she's like, who is this guy telling people what to do? Um, but we got to the part, she decided she liked the writer, Paul, okay. And we got to the part where it talks about, um, Paul is talking about remembering the death of Jesus and taking communion. And he's talking about breaking the bread and drinking the cup. And Hema looks at Corey and I, we're sitting at the dining room table and she says, can we do this together? And I was like, Hema's never professed Jesus as savior. She hasn't made, she hasn't said a prayer. Um, we need to talk about this. And so because our students are, are usually from a Catholic background and they're really good at reciting prayers, uh, we don't do that anymore. <laughs> we ask them questions. We don't ask them to recite after us. We ask um, what they believe. And so we said, Hema, before we do this, there's a couple things we have to know. Do you believe that Jesus is the savior? Yes. Hema, do you believe that he died for you? Yes. Hema, do you believe that he rose from the dead and he forgives you? Yes. Hema answered yes to those questions and we got to take communion with Hema in our home. Um, probably not for the first time. She had done it once in the Catholic Church as a ritual, but we got to do it with Hema for the first time as a believer in Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> um, and all because God had honestly reduced what we could do to one. We were meeting online with students, but this is the one person we could touch. This is the one person who could make salsa in my kitchen <laughs> and and Jesus uses that and he touches one Hema now is back home in her hometown she leads um, some government uh, programs in her city and we're sending we have other missionary friends right now who are visiting her and making sure she is being discipled um, because Jesus cares about the one but finally, the, the pandemic in Mexico was really long <laughs> and we didn't, the government wouldn't allow churches to open until August of that year. Um, and we, students didn't actually come back to campus until March of 2022, uh, like in force. <laughs> so they came back a little bit in August of 21 and God placed, we were, my husband Corey and I were actually in northern Mexico serving a church there for a week. And I look on Facebook and we knew with the pandemic we wouldn't be allowed on campus anymore. They, they weren't going to allow any outsiders to, to walk onto campus. And so we were praying about how to meet students if we can't go <laughs> to them. And I'm looking on Facebook Marketplace and I see a place for rent. I'm like, hey, Corey, I think... I think we should rent this place. And he's like, Angela, come on, like, how? <laughs> and I said, well, look at it. And he looks at it and he knows the space. And he says, Angela, I, I know where that is. And it's directly across um, from the main entrance to campus. And he says, well, Angela, we, don't, we didn't raise the money for that. I'm like, I know, but I really think like, we'll just, we'll eat beans and rice. <laughs> like we can, we can rent this space and we'll see what happens. And he was like, okay, we'll go look at it when we get back. And so we went to go see this space and seriously, you cannot get any closer. I can throw a rock at the entrance of campus. And we're like, okay, Jesus, like we're gonna rent this space and we're gonna see what happens and we're gonna meet students here. And I'm not kidding you, the very next day, my husband's home church that he grew up in calls and says, a lady died and she left some money for the church and we're gonna send you guys enough that covered 18 months of rent on this space. And we're like, well, okay. <laughs> so now this is the student center. It is not a big space, but we pack students in there. <laughs> we offer free internet, we offer coffee, um, we have board games, and in Mexico, there's no such thing as like a student union. There's no place for students to hang out. So they come across the street, 
when they have a break in classes and they come to us. And all of a sudden, they come and they start to ask questions. Why, why is this free? <laughs> That's the biggest question. Why is this free? And we always say, it's free because God showed us love and we want to show it to you. And I always say, and it's free because there are people investing in what we do who can allow us to offer it for free. But some of those students will stop and say, oh God, okay, I'm gonna walk over here and not have this conversation with you. But some of those students will stop and say, tell me a little more about that. Tell me more about what you do and why God loves me <laughs> through you. Uh, but this space has been incredible. We have Bible studies there, we do game nights, we offer free food on occasion. Um, it's, it's been incredible, and God is using this space now to meet the next, we always say, to be, meet the next one. <laughs> There's always one more. There's always one more. Um, I'm really sorry. <laughs> there is always one more um, that Jesus wants us to find. If you guys know now, oh, we also do, I crochet, I'm an old lady, and... Um, we do a crochet club and we have both guys and girls who show up to learn to make things. Um, Corey plays video games with students, but we do all of this because the word says that the lost are perishing and he's not willing for that to happen. Second Peter 3.9 says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. I think a lot of us, if, if you grew up like I grew up in a church where it was amazing, but we also sang a lot about heaven, but it was like escapism. It was like, I hate this world. <laughs> this world is awful. I just want to go to heaven. And, and we sing about that. But the thing is, is that as we sing, yes, I should desire heaven. The word also says that. But the word says, the Lord is being, he isn't being slow. He's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Another version says, he's being patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He's not coming yet because there are lost people who need to be found. He waits. That verse says he goes and he looks for that sheep until he finds it. We met Hema in 2014. And according to a lot of the things that I've heard, I should have left her a long time ago. She didn't accept Jesus in the early years. I probably should have just considered it a lost cause. But Jesus doesn't call us a lost cause. He calls us found. He's patient with us, but he has also commanded us to be a part of his plan. <laughs> He's commanded us to be a part of finding the lost, to bringing them in, um, to doing whatever we can to make sure others are part um, of eternity with us. He's not willing that any should perish, and that means that everyone is welcome. In Mexican culture, I've learned lots of things, but I've learned one thing, that is there is always room for one more. Always. <laughs> The car is full, no, we can fit one more person in it. <laughs> like, oh, oh, you wanna bring 12 people to my house to stay the night? I think we can do that. And they'll show up with 24, I'm not kidding, that happened. <laughs> I'm like, I have two bathrooms. <laughs> there are 26 of us in this house right now. Um, you can always fit one more in, always. Um, yes. <laughs> you, you just shove people in. And it, I think sometimes in, in a U.S. culture, we don't always think that way. We're like, well, my house isn't big enough to receive people, so I won't invite. And, and the Mexican family says, if you'll fit in the garage, come. Like, let's just throw you in. And that's what Jesus is talking about. One of the other things that Corey and I get to do in Mexico is we get to teach at the Bible school. So... A few years ago, they started asking us to teach a class on missions. And I'm like, I know I'm a missionary, but I'm not an expert. Um, but they asked us to start teaching it, and I started doing a lot of studying. And I'm like, I have to find out more about what I'm teaching. And so I was reading through a book about missions, and then I started to study more and more. 
And I got to the story. Um, you actually see it in all four Gospels. So we kind of know it's important. It, it shows up over and over. Uh, of Jesus clearing the temple. And if you've ever heard this story, I've heard plenty of sermons on this story about Jesus' righteous anger when he walks in and realizes that his house is not being used for the correct purpose. Uh, he walks in, he clears this temple, or he clears the courtyard, actually. That's the thing. This story is almost always labeled Jesus clears the temple. But as I started to read, um, the area that Jesus clears is the courtyard of the temple. And the courtyard of the temple is the one place where non-Jews could be. So what Jesus does is he shows up and he enters this courtyard, which was actually called the courtyard of the Gentiles. He enters the courtyard and he sees that it's filled with these people selling for, for the sacrifices and for the for offerings and they're selling and they're charging. Yes, he's upset because they're charging higher prices. Um, they're, they're benefiting off of the poor having to travel to make this sacrifice. And Jesus shows up and I always thought, well, I get why he's mad. I get really mad when they raise the price on me too. <laughs> In Mexico, they'll give me a price and I say, I want the Mexican price, <laughs> not the white girl price. <laughs> so, I always thought, I get it. I get why Jesus is upset. But as I read this story and was reading a book on missions, and he talks about the importance of this courtyard, and the fact that this courtyard is where the non-Jews could be, and it is the only place they could come to worship. So Jesus is not just clearing out robbers and people who are, who are benefiting. He is clearing out space. He is making room for the nations. <laughs> I love that your church is called All Nations. And I've been, this message has been like on my heart for months. And this is the first time I got to preach it. And I'm like, how fitting. <laughs> Jesus is making room for the nations. So we learn all of these things about this story. But the importance I want to look at today is this location. Um, Revelation 11.2 calls this space the outer court. It's, it's outside and it's where, like, at this time, the presence of God, only the, the priest could go into the Holy of Holies, but there were these limitations and certain people could only be in certain places. There were actually, at Herod's temple, there were actually notices outside. After you entered the Gentile courtyard, if you wanted to go any farther, there were notices in Greek and Latin saying it was punishable by death if anyone unworthy went any farther. So Jesus is saying, I want there to be room. I want to create space for all of these people. In Acts 21, they almost kill Paul because they feel like he's taken Greeks into a part of the temple that they shouldn't be in. This was a really big deal. And honestly, before Jesus' death, if you know that the, the veil is torn, this giant curtain into the Holy of Holies is just ripped in half. And I feel like Jesus clearing the courtyard is a predecessor to that veil being torn. He's saying, come in, get closer, because I'm about to rip that thing in two. I'm about to allow the nations to come into my presence <laughs> and not to be fearful. And they're going to be able to step in to this presence and they're going to have access to the Father. This is the goal of missions, creating space and access for those who have yet to be presented with an adequate representation of the gospel. I told you in Mexico, most of the students I meet, there's a Bible somewhere in their house. They could probably find it. <laughs> But that doesn't mean they know how to read it and find out what it says. <laughs> they have access. The Ethiopian, I'm telling a lot of stories. If you don't know these stories, come find me and I'll tell you where they are. <laughs> um, in, in Mexico, we use one version of the Bible and we go by page numbers because students have no idea how to find Matthew 2. <laughs> and so we say, we're turning to page 713. <laughs> um, 
But there's a story where there's an Ethiopian eunuch and he's out in, the, in his chariot in the middle of the desert and he's reading from the scroll. He has access. He has access to the scriptures. And he's reading these scriptures, but he's going, I don't know what this means. We can have access, but not know what it means. So what happens is Philip shows up and he says, do you need somebody to explain that to you? And I feel like even in places, sometimes I get told like we should only send missionaries to the places where they have no access. And I think the story of Philip and the eunuch shows us that we go to places where they have no adequate representation. If they don't know how to read it, if they don't know how to find salvation, we still have to explain what it is. Jesus consistently showed us who he was making room for. Read through the Gospels. He makes room for the hurting. He makes room for the lame. He makes room for those that no one wanted to touch. Jesus is the one making room for them. Children, the broken, those who can never repay him or return the favor. And so often I think we as humans like to do things for those who can do things for us. <laughs> and Jesus does this and he clears space for those who we can never repay salvation. We can never repay what he's given us. But in the stories of Jesus's healings, we see people often having to push through crowds to get to him. We see stories of, of a woman pushing through a crowd just to touch the hem of the garment. We see stories of lepers pushing through crowds, which was so illegal. <laughs> they shouldn't have even been present in a group of people, and yet they're pushing through to find Jesus. Uh, there's a story of, of men who carry their friend to Jesus and they literally make room in the roof to, to bring their friend to Jesus, right? And they make this room, but I propose today, what if we helped make room? <laughs> because so often there's a crowd and so often there's something impeding others getting to where Jesus is. Jesus cleared the courtyard, but we, we can help clear space for people to come to know him. We can do that because while Jesus meets these needs and does respond with kindness and healing, what if these people had had easy access to Jesus? What if they could get close? And what we see a lot in these stories of Jesus's healings is those who are really close to him are those taking up space. The Pharisees are close and they think they've got it right and they're standing there and they're asking Jesus all these questions and what they're doing is impeding that others get to Jesus. Like I'm gonna move my religious self and I'm gonna let others get up there. <laughs> I'm gonna let them come to him. I've been reading a little bit about history. I, I love the history of the United States and of Mexico, but um, I was reading about 1920s immigration policies. <laughs> this is super weird. But in the 1920s, they started to pass all these new immigration laws, and I'm not talking about today at all, okay? <laughs> they started to talk about all these new immigration laws that would reduce the number of Europeans and certain people coming in to the United States. And it was because people were fearful. They were fearful of things that were different and they were fearful of those who didn't look like them and they were fearful um, of different things. So all these policies get put in place at a federal level and they reduce the number of people who can come in to the United States. But what happens is that these policies thinking, oh, this is fine in the 1920s are still on the books when you get to the 1940s. And in the 1940s, Hitler begins taking out a population of Jewish people in Europe and policies that were in place to impede immigration don't allow people to come to safety. So Anne Frank, if you ever had to read Anne Frank's diary in high school, <laughs> Anne Frank's family gets denied a visa because of these policies, because there were quotas and there were so many that could come and there were so many who can't. And the problem is, is that I think we do the same to people <laughs> and Jesus. <laughs> we kind of put limits on who can come 
and how they can come to Jesus. Because fear of the unknown can affect those in the future. So often, we, like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, are the ones impeding access. Whether we're actually in the way, I have literally been to churches to speak, and I sat in a seat, I'm new, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I sit down and I have actually had an older woman come up to me and say, you're in my seat. Literally, you're in my seat. <laughs> and, and she doesn't know me. <laughs> like, thankfully, I am kind and gracious <laughs> and I am okay with that. But what if the person sitting in that seat doesn't know Jesus? I just created less access for them to know Jesus. What if it be our ideas of how things should look? What if it be my own prejudices of what I think about people? What if it be my own fear? Because sometimes the unknown and the people we fear are the hardest for us to love and Jesus asks us to love. Matthew 20, 13, 23, 13 says, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. I will say, but woe to you, Angela. <laughs> Hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. We shut the door. There were people, I don't think they were purposeful in setting up in that courtyard and saying, we're not gonna let people in. They wanted what they wanted. They wanted to benefit a bit from the selling. I don't think they actually thought, we'll keep those people out. But they were in the space where those people needed to be. So what we do is we get that out of the way and we let people come into that courtyard. So how do we do it? How do we create access for people? I think first we ask the Lord for help. <laughs> I think all of us, whether we like to admit it or not, we have our preconceived ideas and prejudices about others. We, we grew up a certain way or we think a certain way or we look at certain people and think, I don't, I'm not sure about them. But what I ask the Lord to do is I ask him to let me view people in the image of God, how he created them. They were viewed, we were all created in the image of God. So I asked the Lord for help to love those around me, those I don't understand, those who are far away. That's missions. I asked God to break my heart for those maybe I don't know and I don't speak their language and I don't know their culture and, and I have no idea and I ask him to do that. I ask him to help me love those that I fear. Because Jesus says I can ask and he'll give it to me. <laughs> I can ask for that. In Deuteronomy 10, 19, the whole chapter of Deuteronomy 10, God is giving them these simple, he's breaking it down. And he's saying, really? I'm gonna give you this giant list of rules, <laughs> but it's gonna come down to two things. Love the Lord your God <laughs> with all of your heart and love your neighbor. But the problem is we sometimes find it very hard to love our neighbor. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest, a couple weeks ago, I was um, invited to speak at a women's event and, I, and the Lord dropped the word hospitality into my head and I was like, okay, okay. And I looked up the actual definition of hospitality and it's to love a stranger. It's not to set up a great grazing board, it's to love a stranger. And so often that's who is hard to love. And so often that is who we struggle with. But I was studying for that message. I'm in my house and I took a little, a little break. And I was like, I'll go outside and I'm gonna water the plants really quick. And so I open my front door and I'm gonna be, I'm being super honest. I look out and I see my neighbor, Billy, and he's across the street. And I don't know him super well, but he's a talker. He's, he lives alone, like he wants to talk. And I literally am studying on loving strangers and I slowly close my door. <laughs> and I walk into the back room and the Holy Spirit like smacks me in the face. <laughs> and he's like, really Angela? 
<laughs> you love a stranger, do you? <laughs> because it's hard. It doesn't matter how holy we think we are, it is hard to love those we don't know, so we ask for help. In Mexico, one of the things that's been crazy that we've gotten to do is minister to Indian students. They come from India to study their doctorates in our town. And so suddenly I had to learn these like new cultural things about like beef. <laughs> like, oh yeah, I can't serve beef because the Indians are coming over. Uh, one of them was a vegetarian. I became a great vegetarian chef for a while. Um, but we started to learn to love these guys and, and we had to figure out how to do it. Their culture is different. They will tell you directly that you look bad that day. Like, <laughs> it is sometimes really hard um, to love the stranger, to love those we don't know. But one of them, his name is Sidant, and um, we were downtown. We had known him for a little bit. He was the guy, he came to Mexico and decided to throw off everything he knew before, all of his religion, all of his morals. <laughs> he had decided he would come to Mexico and he would party and he would do what he wanted. And so when we would talk to him, honestly, we thought, this guy is the last that's gonna come to Jesus. <laughs> but he showed up on our doorstep one night and he's like, guys, I lost my scholarship. I don't have enough money to get back to India. I don't have enough money to stay here. I came to you. And we're like, okay. <laughs> So we started spending time with Sidant. We started to talk to him about who Jesus is and we prayed for his situation. But in that week, he started coming with us. We would go downtown, we were with a group and we went downtown to eat. And this American guy was visiting us in town and he, we're in this just plaza in the middle of downtown and um, Chad really felt like God told him to walk up to this alcoholic drunk man downtown who stunk. I'm gonna be honest, and to just give him a hug. He's like, I am supposed to hug that guy. And so he, he just hugged this guy and in his broken Spanish, he said, Jesus loves you. And he hugged this guy. And we get back to the house and Sinat was with us, this Indian student. And he just looks at us and he goes, I need to know the God that made him do that. <laughs> I need to know the God who would make someone love the unlovable. And Sidan says that he felt like God, that something had, had changed in his system and he always knew that despite having known or being told there were millions of gods in Hinduism, he was like, I always knew there was one. I just didn't know who it was. We got to present Jesus to Sidan, but because someone chose to love the unlovable, someone chose to create access for those who needed to know. We make room, <laughs> we make room. The other thing we do is we physically and literally start to make room. We make room um, in my schedule. <laughs> if I never have time for the lost and those who need to know Jesus, they won't come to know him. I make room, I make room so I can know them. I make room in my schedule so that I will have time to pray for people, <laughs> so that I will have time to serve so that I will t have time to be a part. I make room in my budget <laughs> to create access. Because I serve in Mexico, that's where God has called me, but you know where I can't be right now? Everywhere, <laughs> all at once, that's Jesus. <laughs> so Corey and I have created in our own budget space where we can send people into access places like India. <laughs> Where I cannot be, we create that room and it's hard. At first you're like, this is my money, I wanna spend it. <laughs> and you start to create that room, you start to create space even in those things. We start to create space in our hearts for people who are maybe different than us or who look a little different or who talk a little different or who are harder to love. Honestly, when the Indian students tell me I don't look good that day, <laughs> I have a hard time loving but I make room for them. Jesus created room when he cleared that courtyard and he made room for all of us. I'm gonna to finish today going back to that original story we originally talked about, Luke 15. The very last part of that story talks about, we call the story the prodigal son, the son that left and he comes back. Um, Corey and I like to call that story the story of the father's heart. 
Because really what you watch is a father wait. You watch a father wait for his son. And honestly, in that culture, his son had told him, Dad, I don't care about you. I just want your money. I wish you were dead. (laughs) I just want money. And he had gone away and he comes back, but the word says that while he was still a long way off, his father sees him. And that means that this father was sitting there waiting every day. Today's the day. Today's the day he'll come. Today's the day he comes home. Maybe today. Maybe today. And we know if you've read the story, that son shows up, the father runs to him. And what does the father do? He creates space. (laughs) He says, let's kill the cow and let's give you the robe and you have full status as my son. You are no longer, you will not be a servant. You are a son. And he brings him in. But you know who's standing in the way this time? The older brother. The older brother who a lot of times is like us. God, I'm the one who did the right things. God, I'm the one who's always been here. God, I'm the one who's served in this church. God, I'm the one who's been here when everyone else left. So he doesn't deserve to come here. And we impede again. (laughs) And the older son stands in the way of this son coming. So what if instead we choose to create room? What if we choose to create access for those who are far off? Corey preaches a sermon, my husband, and he talks about this story and he says, what if the older brother looking at the father's heart had actually gone out to find the son? How do we look if the word says that he's not willing that any should perish? How do I look at the father's heart and see it breaking and not go? and not create access for others to come. Can you imagine the reduction in the suffering of the father if, if the son, if the younger son maybe knew earlier on that he could come back? We can create that room. Because you know what? Whether we are fearful of people or whether not everyone is our cup of tea or, or whether we don't understand or whether we honestly have prejudices or not, Around the throne room, everyone will be there. Revelation says, every tribe and every language and every tongue. So I better learn to love them here (laughs) because we're going to worship together there. I have to learn to love here. Let's learn to create that space because I do want it to be on earth as it is in heaven. This, you guys are beautiful. This looks more like heaven than most churches I'm in on a Sunday. (laughs) This looks more like heaven. I may have been late to the party, (laughs) but in January I was at a conference and it was the first time I saw a shirt or something that said, make heaven crowded. (laughs) And I thought, crowded. I don't know the one that heaven can get crowded. I think think it just expands. Um, But I thought, that's my goal. We make heaven crowded. We clear the courtyard and we bring those in. So today to finish up, I will challenge you. I want to challenge us. If you need to make some space, if you know, God, there's people that I find it hard to love. God, there's, there's areas in my life, whether that be in my schedule, whether that be in my own heart, whether that be in my budget, that I need to move so that I can be a part of making heaven crowded and clearing courtyards, find a space. You can come to an altar. Um, You can stand. I was praying, if you know the song, I probably shouldn't sing it myself. (laughs) Um, There's a song, I I will make room for you. I will make room. I, I was thinking about this song and I'm like, it's really about us, obviously. I personally make room. But what we don't understand is that this Bible was written to Jews <laughs> who are collective. So they weren't saying I personally. Jesus wasn't usually saying I. He was saying I, we make room. We make room for you. And we make room for you, but we make room for others. Do you realize you have room? 
Let's fill it. Let's make heaven crowded. Let's make room. You can come. Maybe we need to pour out our hearts and say, God, help me. Help me to make room and help me to clear out the things I need to clear out so that others can fit. So that others can come to this place because we make room. Do you guys know that one? Perfect. (laughs) I didn't even ask for that. You guys are amazing. (laughs) Let's take a moment. I'll pray, but if you need to get in an altar, if you need to sit in your seat and just ask the Lord to search our hearts, because whether we believe it or not, there are areas that we need to fix. There are things we need to clear out. We make room for him and we make room for others. Let's pray and then we'll sing. (laughs) Jesus, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you so much that your sacrifice on the cross made room for us, made room for us to be a part of your kingdom and a part of your family. But God, we know that there are so many more who are lost. There are so many more who need to be brought in and we create space. Today we ask that you would just help us to open up our hearts to create space in our lives for you to move so that the nations will be represented, Jesus. So that every tribe and every tongue will be there and we will be a part of it. Jesus, we ask that you would just convict. God, we repent for not creating space, for allowing our religiosity, for allowing things in our lives to get in the way. And we ask that you would help us to bring those in and to create access. Thank you, Jesus. You made it to the end of the message, and now what? Is God leading you to make a change? Are you needing a good church home where you can grow and help others grow as you fulfill your part in the body of Christ? Then we invite you to join us at All Nations Church on Sharer Road in Tallahassee, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Our Sunday morning service is at 10.30 and Wednesday night service at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For more information, visit our website, allnationstallahassee.com.